Well, we're in a series that's uh, entitled Spiritual Landscaping Tips. And we're doing that more than just because it's kind of springtime and people are paying attention to this. According to Jesus, life and landscaping share some amazing similarities, a number of similarities. And so consequently, as you look through Scripture, he's alluding to these kinds of things constantly. And this morning, we're going to be focusing on managing weeds wisely. If you've got your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Uh, We've got a long ways to go this morning through this passage. A lot to cover. This is one of my favorite parables. Uh, There are several that are just stellar in my estimation. This is one of them. This is one that is is so rich. And I hope you'll listen close as we look through it. Because in the parable we're going to be looking at, Jesus reveals why the world is such a mess today. I I mean, he hits it right on the head what's going on. He talks about how we should respond to it and how he's going to respond to it, all in this one parable. And there are so many implications of what he's going to say, that uh, some of which we'll hit on this morning, but some of which, as you reflect on this in the days ahead, hopefully he'll, uh, his spirit will bring to your mind. But every one of us needs to understand these things, so let's listen together and, uh, and learn from Jesus. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to start with verse 24. You can follow along on the screen if you don't have a Bible, but make sure you look at this in your Bible or on your phone, wherever you've got uh, the Word of God, okay? Here's what it says. Here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is... Is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest, and then I'll tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, weeds, tie them into bundles, burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. Now, Jesus stops with that parable and progresses to some other stories in the text in Matthew 13. We'll hit on those next week, but uh, for now, we're going to leave those till next week. He picks up to explain all of this in verse 36. This is what he says. He does not leave this to us to figure out because we'd mess it up. So he, he explains it very clearly in verse 36 and following. He says, Then, leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, Please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field, which is just to say they didn't get it the first time, like we probably don't and wouldn't have. Jesus replied, The Son of Man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Do you see what he did? He just broke the code right there. That's what he did. The code breaker just made it clear. He goes on and says, Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send His angels. They will remove from His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear 
should listen and understand, Jesus says. This parable is loaded with insights. It is absolutely full of explanations from Jesus of things going on in our world. It's full of implications. But before we start applying all of this, which I will do at the end, I want to draw your attention to a number of observations that we need to make. Things that Jesus states or believes that are important for us to understand or believe. So our lives are in alignment with with his thinking, with his, with his worldview. So let me highlight several, make several observations here. Jesus references first, the, the first observation is he references the enemy, the devil. Here's the great unveiling for our culture. Jesus apparently believes that the devil is real. If you look at the text, he believes that he's real. You know, there's about... 50% of our culture anymore that doesn't believe that he's real. We believe he's a metaphor. We believe he's sort of this um, bad vibe in our world, this thread of evil tendency that maybe shows up because of poverty, because of a lack of education, because there's environmental problems, because of inequities. And, and I want you to see right here that Jesus is not saying that there's no problem, that, that lack of education is okay, or that, there's, that poverty is okay. He's not saying that, but what he is saying is that those are not the fundamental root of the evil that's rampant and at work in our world. The fundamental root is that there's an enemy, a very real personal devil. And just as there's a very real farmer who's planting seed, Jesus, there is a very real evil one, Satan, planting bad seed, at work in our world. Which brings us to a second uh, observation here. There are two categories of people that Jesus makes reference to here in the text, if you've noticed. He speaks of the people of the kingdom, the wheat, the good seed, all the same, the, the people of God's kingdom, those who are advancing God's, peop- God's purposes in the world. They're led by Jesus, led by His Spirit. They're planted by God wherever they are to do what He's called them to do. But then he refers to the second group of people, the weeds, the people of the evil one, those who are advancing the evil one's purposes in the world, whether they know it or not. They're in alignment with him and accomplishing his purposes. And this is important for us to understand because in our culture, we want to believe everybody around me is good. Everybody's well-intentioned. And what's Jesus' point here? That's not true. There are very real bad people in our world. There is real personified evil at work behind the scenes. Not everyone around us is good. And it shows up so clearly in the text. In verse 39, you see that just as Jesus strategically plants his children in the world, guess what? So does the evil one. Look at verse 39. It just says, the the enemy, notice what it says, who planted, who planted the weeds where? Among the wheat is the devil. I mean, Jesus does not leave this to chance. Doesn't make it easy to explain away what he's talking about here. And what he's doing is he's revealing to you and me 
Who is responsible for dishonesty in the media? Who is responsible for pornography and sexual abuse in our culture? Who is responsible for corruption in government and education and business? Who is responsible for injustice in the court system and exploitation of children and the undermining of the family? He wants us to have no fog in our minds about why evil is idolized in entertainment industry. He wants us to know that international deception and miscommunication and terrorism are not the result of inequity in the distribution of resources in the world. He wants us to know that racial and ethnic conflicts and tension, lust for war, lust for land, lust for riches, and more, it doesn't just happen, and it's not God. There's a very real evil one who is planting strategically those who are in alignment with him places of influence to produce that kind of weedy fruit throughout the earth. Like it or not, Jesus doesn't stop there because he references in the text that God has permitted good and evil for now to coexist. Truth is, we see the implications of that in our news media and the shootings and various things. We don't like that. For justifiable reasons. We don't like it. But God has permitted good and evil to coexist. And here's the thing. Sometimes we make judgments about God because of that. We conclude that God must be, not be loving. He must be weak. He must not care. We make all kinds of rash judgments in our culture because there's pain that comes into our lives sometimes because of that sort of thing. Because he allows it all to coexist. But Jesus alludes in our text in this parable... Uh, to why evil isn't removed from our world. He doesn't expressly explain it all, partly because I, we couldn't understand it if we tried, all of it. It's so much more, so, he's so much smarter, he's so much more brilliant than we are. There's, there's so much complexity what's going on in our world for you to have free will and me to have free will at the same time, and sometimes the clash against, it's, it is a complex universe that we live in. But Jesus alludes to some root reasons, some foundational reasons to why evil isn't removed from our world from God's perspective. And he does it in verse 28 through 30. The farmer, in the parable, the farmer's servants ask the farmer this, should we pull out the weeds? Notice how he responds. No, he replied, verse 29. Notice what he says. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest, then I'll tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds. Now, what's my... Jesus did not go into great explanation of this piece of the parable in verses 36 and following, did he? But here's the point. He doesn't fully explain it, but all of humanity, you and me included, is a mixture of good and evil. And somehow, if he were to uproot evil at this point... It would do more harm to you and me and others like us all over the planet than we understand. Nothing else. You ever had a really weedy garden where you've got tomato plants and other things planted there and you start... Where I notice it especially is where my onions are. I have my onions and a row of them and weeds kind of grass grows up around them and it's so delicate you don't 
want to really hoe there, and so you got to do it all by hands. And I get behind, or get do it by hand. I get behind, and next thing I know, if I start pulling out the weeds, you know, I can pull the top off the onion. I can damage the onion, and you know, sometimes it becomes inedible. You know, unless you're a raccoon or something. You know, I mean, Jesus is painting the picture here in the text that that's that's the scene, that's the scenario. If he were to uproot all that's evil at this point, we the wheat and those who are his children planted throughout the earth and who are his family forever, his forever family, will be damaged. And that it's actually better that he allow all this to go on for the moment. And the observation that I want to make next is it's, it's better because it's not going to be that way forever. Jesus references in the text the end of the world. He does it really clearly in verses 36 and following. He speaks of it as the harvest. It's important that you and I understand that one is coming. Because it's delayed, it's easy to kind of think, well, yeah, I guess in some theoretical sense out there it'll happen. You know, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus was here and ascended, and I guess he'll get around to it sometime. And we see the wackos who are promoting specific dates, and he will show up at 1231 on this day. You know, it's, it's doing weird things, and you just it's easy to dismiss it all, is it not? But Jesus' point is to, I mean, he makes it expressly clear that the end of the world is coming and he makes the point that evil is going to be separated from all that's good in the text. Look at verses 40 and following. Jesus explains, he says, Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will remove from his kingdom everything that Make note of this. We'll remove everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I, I want you to notice here, observation. Hell is mentioned by Jesus, though it's not specifically named. Why, why do I mention that? Because more than 50% of our culture anymore, it's about 60% of our culture don't think that hell is real anymore. Why do we think that? Because we don't want it to be real. We don't want there to be consequences for the choices that I make. I want to be able to sin and cause sin with impunity. That's the way our world is. But Jesus makes it clear that there's a fiery furnace there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's clearly describing a place. What's he talking about? He's talking about hell. Which means that getting cut off in traffic is not hell. And, and it means that, you know, a hardship in your life, having a handicapped child, having circumstances that are beyond your control, having cancer, having, you make the list, being given a pink slip, you know, working for the man and he's taking advantage of you. Not hell, not hell. Bad day, yes. Maybe bad season of life, maybe a bad year. Not hell. 
Hell is a fiery furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And guess what? It doesn't matter if I like it or you like it or not. It's real. Jesus believed it. And he's either right or wrong, but he's not... He's not a brilliant teacher if he's wrong on these things, friends. You've got to understand that. So many more observations that could be made from this passage that uh, I can't make from a time standpoint. But I, my encouragement to you, spend some time reading, praying, reflecting on these. I am quite confident that the Holy Spirit will bring insight to your mind about this. But let me talk for a moment about what would Jesus like you and me to do with all of this information, all of this insight that he gives us in these, these verses. First response I think Jesus is looking for from every one of us, he wants us to understand what's going on in the, big, in the world. He wants us to have the big picture clear in our mind. This is, there is no human, there is no conspiracy of human origin going on in our world. When you look at Washington, D.C., when you look at the politics, when you look at the, your, your corporation, that where you and the people in authority there, when you see these, there is not a human conspiracy. The conspiracy is not rooted in human ingenuity. Do you follow me? Where is the root? Spiritual one. I'm not saying there's no conspiracy. I'm saying we, we need to think differently about all of these things. The point of origin is a place beyond, a person beyond the physical realm that we see day in and day out. What's true in our day was true in the time leading up to Jesus. The prophets have spoken of this kind of thing of old. I could talk about this for a long time, but let me just read a few verses of Scripture to you because the prophet Isaiah gives us counsel. He gave, he gave the people of Israel counsel about this leading up to the first coming of Messiah, and the same counsel, believe it or not, applies now. I mean, it does, leading up to the return of Messiah. So listen to this. As, and again, Isaiah 8, and I, I'm going to read several verses, but I want you to listen carefully and, and just think, is this counsel we need in our generation? Just think about that. The prophet Isaiah says to the people of Israel who were trying to walk with God, he said, The Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else. He said, Don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. Don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He's the one you should fear, Isaiah says. He's the one you should, who should make you tremble. He will keep you safe. He goes on and says, many will stumble and fall, never to rise again. They'll be snared and captured. But preserve the teaching of God and trust his instructions to those who follow me. He goes on and says, look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And because they're hungry, they'll rage and curse their king and their God. And they will look up to heaven and down at the earth. But wherever they look, there'll be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They'll be thrown into outer darkness. Nevertheless, that time of darkness 
the prophet says, and despair will not go on forever. And the passage goes on to say, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For you will break the yoke of their slavery, speaking to God, and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. For a child is born to us. You ever heard this before? A son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Is that not like for our day? There is a conspiracy. It's a spiritual coup attempt. And it's failed already. But think of it this way. The commission hasn't folded up yet. The coup. There's lots of media rhetoric. There's lots of stuff going on, but the coup has failed. It's a spiritual one. Understand what's going on in our world, friends. It's what Jesus wants us to grasp. Because if we get foggy on that, we start making judgments about God and about how to live our lives and things that can lead us to harm. So keep it straight in your head. Second response that Jesus would have, I'll move move real fast through these. Jesus wants us to separate ourselves from evil now. Not next week, not next month, not next year, not, not someday later, about the time we die. He doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to separate ourselves from evil now because all that causes sin, all who choose and do evil willingly are going to be removed from God's kingdom. Verse 41 makes it so clear. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will remove from His kingdom, uproot from His kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Right now, you and I have a choice. But the day is soon coming when the window of opportunity for choice will be passed. And today's choice will be sealed. So Jesus is saying, rid yourself of sin. Turn to me. Jesus has made atonement for your sins. Open your heart, your life to him. I mean, Invite him into your heart. Invite him into your life. Invite his Holy Spirit to come within to guide you in how to remove what is broken and evil in your heart and your life. He's just saying, this is the window of time. Separate yourself from evil now. Third response Jesus is looking for. He wants us to fulfill our role as good seed in the world. God has planted every one of us in this room, and every one of us listening in, he's planted every one of us where we are for a reason. Sometimes we wonder, why am I there? What is my, you know, I don't feel like I'm making very much impact and these kind of things. We all, and you, we all kind of whine. That's a spiritual gift that most of us have. And, and God's point, I think, to most of us, I think his word to most of us is, no, you're good seed in the world. I planted you where you are so you'd be in that circle of relationships, that sphere of influence, I want you to be good seed, be light. 
Whereas Jesus says in Matthew 5, 13, be salt. You're the salt of the earth. Salt's a preservative. It adds seasoning and flavor. It, it stings in an open wound. Yes, why? But it, because it's cleansing, purifying, cauterizing. That's all the impact of, of salt. He's saying you are the salt of the earth. And salt also creates thirst. Thirst in the hearts of those who are really looking for water in all the wrong places. God's saying, fulfill your role as good seed in the world. Don't get hung up on what's not happening. Trust me for that, he's saying. Be faithful where you are. The fourth thing that Jesus response that Jesus is looking for from us is really along the lines of expectations, but this is the response. He's wanting you and me to be realistic. And and this is the area where he wants us to be realistic. Good will be opposed until the end. Sort of like the Alcoholics Anonymous prayer, God help me to accept what I can't change, you know. Good is going to be opposed until the end. Your best efforts for God, your best efforts for good are going to be opposed. Don't let that be an excuse for quitting. Don't let that be an excuse for spiritual laziness. Don't let that be an excuse for giving up. Just because there are a lot of other people choosing a path that's, that's evil and doing things that look popular, choose the road less traveled. Choose the narrow path. And be realistic and understand that your best efforts for God are always going to be opposed. That doesn't mean that God's not at work. It just means that the end is not yet. When all that is evil will be uprooted from God's kingdom. Fifth response that Jesus is looking for is he wants us to remember that a day is soon coming when all that's messed up in our world is going to be made right. And as sure as the sun rises and rain clouds bring rain, as sure as the moon is orbiting the earth and the stars come out and they disappear every night, that day is coming. And is there anything that you need to be doing to help prepare yourself or those who are important to you for that day? Is there anything? Because if there is, let today be that day. Don't make excuses. Don't put it off. Don't procrastinate. Just just do. Just do what God wants you to do. I want to close by showing you a picture of my garden. I showed it to you last week. It was pretty ugly. Remember that? Here it is. I embarrassed my wife when I showed you that. Because <laughs> it was horrible. That was, that was last week, and it was a mess. And uh, um, it was a mess. Let me show it to you this week. I didn't get anything planted yet, but look what I did this week. The soil, hear this, the soil has been cleared and it's ready for replanting. 
A lot of what Jesus is trying to say to us is that soon Jesus is going to do the exact same thing to our world. And all that's evil, every weed in our world is going to be uprooted so that righteousness and goodness and virtue and all that is good and godly can be replanted. God wants you, every one of us, to be a part of that. And our participation in that has everything to do with our decision today to walk in his ways. So will you choose him as your Lord and Savior? Will you choose his way of life? Will you humble yourself before our God? Maybe you need to demonstrate your faith, you know, confessing him. Maybe you need to demonstrate your faith with your body being baptized as scripture teaches. Maybe you need, I don't know what you need to do. Maybe you have people in your life who you need to Instead of just being a wallflower, not talking about your faith, you need to be open about your faith, encourage people and challenge them toward goodness and godliness. Let's prepare our lives today for that day. I'm going to ask you if you would stand with us. We're going to close in prayer. Maybe you need prayer for something in your life. Maybe you need to confess Christ this morning. Uh, Maybe you need something else. Uh, We'd be happy to pray with you as we close this morning. My encouragement to you is... You need to do something like that. Just come down here. Run down here. Let us pray for you. And don't be shy about that. Uh, We all need prayer. I also want to remind you as we wrap up, you want to see Rocky and Sherry, you want to talk with Eric a little bit, grab them afterwards. And uh, glad that you guys are here too. And um, let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you for every single person within the sound of my voice. I thank you, Father. I know every one of them is loved and cherished by you more than they comprehend. It's not an accident that we're alive at this time, that we're in the places and the spheres of relationships that we are. God, help us to not be cowering and timid. Help us to stand. Help us to be good and godly. Help us to not be belligerent, to be be truthful about who you are. What's really going on in our world Even if there's nobody to follow us except, I think of Noah, you know. got nobody who gets on the ark except his family and a bunch of animals. If that's all that follow us, God, help us to be faithful nonetheless. I pray, God, that you'll help us to be good by the power of your spirit. Fill us with your spirit. We cannot do this on our own. We need you. We certainly couldn't do it under any other circumstances. But in this time, in this era of history. Oh God, we need you. We need your wisdom. We need your tenacity. We need your patience. We need you. Pray, Father, that you'll help us to to walk in humility. Help us to love like you love. Help us to walk in faith like our father Abraham, like Jesus did, like all who've gone before us who are your children. And God will rejoice to be your children who will be rewarded for faithfulness now, but even more so in eternity. Thank you that you're good. Thank you that you care. Now, as you go with us, fathers, we leave this place. Pray that these things would echo in our minds and hearts. Pray that as we look at your word, that you'll give us additional insights that can help us to walk in your ways. We will rejoice now and forever to be your children. 
This is our prayer, Father. We lift it together in the name of Jesus. Everybody agree with me and said, amen, amen. Bless you all.